Do me a favor, if you can open your Bible to Matthew chapter 2. Matthew chapter 2 is where we're going to be this morning. And I just want to add my voice to uh, Alex's announcement to all of our young people, our college students, 20-somethings. Please come this Friday. We're going to uh, not only have a great time together, but we're going to make some announcements about um, our young adult ministry in the new year. We've got some new things coming up, and we want to tell you all about it on Friday night. Um, and to get you there, not only ugly sweater, we'll have a prize for the, the best uh, ugly sweater, but we're going to have Chipotle catering that night, and it's no cost to you. The thing is, is we need you to sign up, though, so we know who's coming. Otherwise, there's going to be like one bowl of beans and meat. Um, so please uh, hit this uh, QR code. We'll put it up after church again uh, or on the Church Center app. But we're excited about this Friday night. Please come out. All right, Matthew chapter 2 is where I'd like you to head, but as you do that, check this out from Isaiah chapter 9. We looked at this last week. It says, for to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. We started with this text last week because we were kind of trying to answer the question, who is the us in the for unto us a child is born? And, and if, you, if you kind of scour through the birth stories, you get a surprising answer, because certainly Christ uh, came for all of humanity, for us. He came into the world, but you read the birth stories and you find out that, that it's, it's quite stunning that, that Jesus was not born to kings and queens and, and castles of marble with a crown of gold around his head and given a, a, a diamond binky uh, for when he needed a, a pacifier. He didn't grow up in a silver bubble surrounded by power and wealth and celebrity. Like we might think the, the second person of the Trinity made flesh deserves. Instead, the unto us is a bunch of super normal people, right? He came to Super normal people. You read the birth stories, and it's this, this nothing and a nobody of, of a girl in Galilee who would become the mother of Christ. And her fiancé, uh, Carpenter fiancé, he, he came in a, a normal village, in a, a normal stable. And yes, it was a stable. I've been called Christmas crusher all week long because of last week. It was a stable. It just was probably... Uh, inside a home to these hardworking, uh, normal, hospitable people, normal shepherds, an old man and a woman. You see the unto us. It's people like us, normal people. Today we're going to turn this over a few degrees and consider what kind of a world did Jesus come into when he came. And again, I, I know that we know that in general he came into our world. He came into the world that God created that was thousands of years into men and women filling the earth and trying to subdue it as his image bearers while severely marred and handicapped by sin. God so loved the world that he sent, that he gave his only son. But as we consider another part of the the story of Jesus, I'd like for us to, to mine and to think about exactly what kind of world was it that Jesus entered into when he was born. Let's look at Matthew chapter 2 for this uh, familiar story after Jesus was born. It says this in verse 1, this is God's word. Now after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, 
In the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star when it rose, and have come to worship him. When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled, and all Jerusalem with him. And assembling all the chief priests and scribes of the people, he inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. And they told him, In Bethlehem of Judea. For so it is written by the prophet, And you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For from you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod summoned the wise men secretly and ascertained from them what time the star had appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem, saying, Go and search diligently for the child, and when you have found him, bring me word that I too may come and worship him. After listening to the king, they went on their way and came to rest. Or, and behold, the star that they had seen when it rose went before them until it came to rest over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. And going into house, they saw the child with Mary his mother, and they fell down and worshipped him. Then opening their treasures, they offered him gifts, gold, and frankincense, and myrrh. And being warned in a dream not to return to Herod, They departed to their own country by another way. Let's pray. Lord, I pray that as we now look to your word and consider the fullness of time that had come when you indeed came to this world and to consider what that says to us and the hope that that gives us today. And I pray that that would that that would be, that this Christmas, Lord, would be filled with the hope that you bring, the joy that you bring, the life that you bring. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So I know this story, you can come at it from so many different ways. It's certainly the story of the kings, the wise, the wise men, and, and certainly the point of the story is the fact that here's another group that, that came and traveled to, to worship Jesus bringing their gifts and, and Gentile kings at that. But there's, there's a lot embedded in here in some of the, the details that you have to unearth. I think that shows us what kind of a world that Jesus was, was born into. What I mean is what are the conditions in which the light of the world began to shine? And I think one thing that you, you certainly see is that the world was filled with racial hatred and division and oppression. At this time, you think, well, well, how do you, how do you sit, how do you see this? But it's true. Even though the the angels sang and the shepherds rejoiced, there was a darkness over the land. Jesus was born into a politically tense and divided world, with a wicked, violent, and power-hungry genius ruling over God's people at the time in King Herod. King Herod is a is a major character of this story in Matthew 2. And I, I think if we, if we double-clicked on King Herod, in the days of King Herod, that gives us this entrance into, well, what were these days? And what were these days like? And I'd like to take a little, a little time uh, for both the, maybe the Bible and history nerds among us, which I am, I am both, 
to consider these days. And I want to ask you to go back in your mind to a little bit over 150 years before Jesus was born. I know that this was a, a period of darkness as far as the Bible is concerned, the, the time before Christ. But prior to, to that time, Israel had been ruled over back and forth by the Egyptians in the south and the Syrians in the north. And the Israelites, 150, 200 years before Christ and even before that, they were viciously and cruelly treated by both of these pagan armies and pagan nations. Therefore, the Jews hated these Gentile armies and oppressors. Maybe you remember Antiochus Epiphanes from our study of Daniel, the one who had 40,000 Jews killed in the temple precincts. He entered into the Holy of Holies and he sacrificed a pig on the altar in the temple. This abomination of desolation stirred a Jewish revolt because of how heinous this was. This is what Gentiles were to the Jews a couple hundred years before Jesus. So when this had happened, this was, they had crossed the line. This was too much. And, and maybe you know about a man named Mattathias. In 167 B.C., he had five sons who began a revolt against these nations, particularly the Syrians, who were in charge at that time. And his son, Judas the Hammer Maccabeus, finally defeated the Syrians in Jerusalem and regained control of the city and the temple. And that victory is what Jews to this day celebrate at Hanukkah, the Festival of Lights. It was that victory. But for the next 75 years, getting closer to Jesus, the Jewish kings of of that dynasty declined in division and in civil wars of sort as the different kings, Israelite kings, from the north and the south fought against each other and would make alliances with the nations around them to accrue more power. One of these Hasmonean kings of Judah destroyed the, the Samaritan temple at Mount Gerizim. The Judean king destroyed their temple, which is why the Samaritans hate the Jews. Of course, the Jews hate the Samaritans. Another one of the kings from down south actually forced the people in the nearby regions to convert to Judaism, including the Edomians to the south, which were the Edomites of old, which were the descendants of Esau, and that's going to be, be important in just a second. So fast forward now to, to 63 B.C., and you've got these two kings of Israel who are fighting about who should gain uh, singular control of the entire region. So both of them reach out to a general named Pompey from Rome, and Pompey came to Israel to, to settle this dispute and instead of agreeing with one or the other, this general essentially conquered, Rome, or conquered Israel himself. He marched to Jerusalem and conquered Jerusalem. And in 63 B.C., this began the Roman rule of Israel that would last for the next about 100 years until the temple was destroyed. In the days, these are the days of Jesus. Jesus would live his life under Roman rule that started then. 
Now, the reason this is important because of how King Herod, or Herod the Great, entered into power as king of the Jews. Herod the Great was an Edomian from the south. He was not a Hebrew nationally. His, his grandfather was one of the Edomites who was forced to convert to Judaism decades before. So Herod, King Herod, was only Jewish by religion. So it was in 44 BC when Julius Caesar was assassinated. Are you guys with me? Everybody with me? This is history nerd and Bible nerd combined. But Julius Caesar gets assassinated. So the the Hasmonean kings assume that they're in control again. And they appointed Herod as the governor of Judea at that time. And it was during Herod's life that he became really good friends with Mark Antony and Cleopatra obviously, and he had, he had given his allegiance to Mark Antony, but what was the bad news in that situation? Well, Mark Antony and Cleopatra were beaten by Octavian in the Battle of Actium, right? And Octavian would become the first emperor of Rome whose name would be changed to Augustus, Caesar Augustus, All right? You with me? The problem is Herod was loyal to Mark Antony, So in this brilliant move, King Herod went to meet with Octavian, and he said to him, I don't want you to judge the object of my loyalty and fealty, which was strong and toward Antony. I don't want you to judge the object of my loyalty. I want you to judge the substance of my loyalty. Antony is gone. I will be loyal to you. And Caesar Augustus said, yep, you're on. And he appointed King Herod as the king of the Jews of the entire region. So this is how Herod came into power. And it's not just that he was a genius politically. He was also a genius culturally. He expanded Jerusalem in wealth and infrastructure. He lowered taxes for the poor. He rebuilt the wall. His crown jewel was the rebuilding and expansion of Solomon's temple to surpass its former glory. He built the Antonian fortress in Jerusalem, named after his buddy, Mark Antony. He built a palace, an aqueduct. He built gymnasiums and theaters throughout the region. This assimilation into Roman and Greek culture, by the way, bothered the Pharisees to no end. Look, Herod was brilliant, His success in the flourishing of Jerusalem is undeniable. But maybe you know that there's a fine line between genius and crazy sometimes. Because Herod was also crazy. He became crazy, especially later in his life. He not only saw Jerusalem thrive, but he was actually a despotic and super paranoid tyrant. He would eventually marry ten wives. Two of them he would have murdered along with their family because they represented a threat, along with several of his sons who were a threat to him, along with 45 members of the Sanhedrin who had accused him of sin. And at the end of his life, he rewrote his will three or four times, finally willing the destruction of dozens and dozens and dozens of officials that he thought were a threat to them. So this starts to make sense of this this tyrant super paranoid man who then hears that the king of the Jews has been born, right? And what do you think someone like that might do? 
in light of his previous history. Now, here's the point of all this. Here's the point of all this. A, where are you going to hear all this, right? I mean, it's fascinating what's going on in the world. Because it says, in the fullness of time, God sent his son. This is the fullness of time that was happening around the world at that time. But, but the point that I'm trying to make is, is because of all of this history, people hated each other. People hated each other. And the lines were racial lines. Jews hated Samaritans. You know this. It, it starts to, to play out in the, the New Testament, in the stories of Jesus. This goes all the way back to the Assyrian captivities. And, and the Samaritans hated the Jews. And they both hated all Gentiles. Because these Gentile armies, the Greeks, the Egyptians, the Syrians, the Romans would capture them and violate their women and desecrate their temples and drive them to shut up and pay taxes in order to live and survive. They hated them. And to top it all off, they had a non-Jewish by race, Edomian or Edomite, and Herod ruling over them. The Pharisees hated the impure. Everyone hated the Romans, including their governors and their soldiers and their tax collectors, right? Hated them. This racial hatred and fragmentation and division and animosity was the world that Jesus came into. In our world, we're we're aware of racial tensions and divisions and racism. And we hate it. We want to be sensitive to it and and find it and, and see it eradicated. They lived racism as a lifestyle. Aggressive practicers of racism and hatred toward people who are not like you. People who thought different from you. Look, we we do, of course, see in this story that after the birth of Jesus, Jesus, who for unto us a child is born, who are the unto us? Well, it also includes these kings, these kings who who are unnamed, but they had money and they had gifts to give and worship, and, and they were Gentiles at that. But, while that's the point of the story, it's, it's also the point that the world was more politically and racially divided than you and I could ever imagine, the world that Jesus was born into. I think that we can tend to become so discouraged at the divisions that exist in and around us, right? I mean, how many times have you heard that our country feels more divided than ever right now? There are political divisions, there are racial tensions, there are cultural versus religious tensions. feels like there are everyday wedges being created between people. I know you know this. I'm not saying anything new, especially since recent election cycles and, and COVID on top of that and national racial tension that has erupted in the last couple of years. And then you add to that a world where judgmentalism leads to conclusions that lead to canceling and marginalizing and dismissing and even hating those who disagree with you or me. Hating people because of their viewpoint. 
I just think it seems to me, and I'm not a huge, a huge newsy, but just don't, can't you almost feel how much the folks at CNN hate the folks at Fox? <laughs> and the folks at Fox, I mean, you can almost feel it through the TV, how much they just hate each other. Division. And you talk about our culture, but maybe it's come close to home for you. I wonder if you've seen any division in your own life. If you've lost friends, people that you used to love and, and hang out with and enjoy. I heard the, the saddest story. I have a pastor friend who told me that a couple in his church recently divorced. And in the end, it was because one voted for Trump and the other voted for Biden. And what that, what that represented to them was such a chasm in who each of them thought that they were and what they thought about the world, that they dissolved their covenant with one another. I wonder if you've lost relationships or maybe you've been the cause of division or the recipient of animosity. And yet, the thing is, this is the very world that Jesus came into. And he came to save. He came to show a different way. He came to unite people by his blood that he would shed on a cross someday. He came to create a people that transcended all of the divisions that exist around us. By his blood, he came to make the Jew and Gentile one for men and women and poor and rich and black and white and brown and conservative and liberal and slave and free. He came to break down dividing walls and barriers. Amen? This is the world he came into, and the, the darkness into which the light of the world began to shine. We think our world is tense and divided. Imagine that world that he was born into and what he came to do. What kind of a world did he come to? A world filled Political tension. King Herod was the president at the time. <laughs> Murdering people on a whim. Including these babies, which leads to the second point. Jesus also came into a world of violence and death. To a world of violence and death. Let me continue to read. This is verse 13. Now when they had departed... This is the kings, the wise men. And by the way, there's probably more than three of them. I'll just try to crush that song too. <laughs> While I'm at it this year, right? Doesn't say there were just three of them. Anywho, when they had departed, verse 13, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream and said, Rise, take the child and his mother and flee to Egypt and remain there until I tell you. For Herod is about to search for the child to destroy him. And he rose and took the child and his mother by night and departed to Egypt and remained there until the death of Herod. And this was to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet, out of Egypt I call my son. Then Herod, when he saw that he had been tricked by the wise men, became furious. And he sent and killed all the male children in Bethlehem 
and in all that region who were two years old or under, according to the time that he had ascertained from the wise men. Then was fulfilled what was spoken by the prophet Jeremiah. A voice was heard in Ramah, weeping and loud lamentation. Rachel, weeping for her children, she refused to be comforted because they are no more. Look, how can you even begin to wrap your mind around this? Or your heart around this? The utter tragedy and trauma of this event. Because they are no more. And who are the they except babies? And not just babies. These were sons. Maybe you know in the first century a son meant hope. Hope for, for work and labor and support in the years to come for the mom and dad. And here's the thing, though Jesus would only learn of this later, this, this sadness and grief and lifelong loss for these parents and families was caused by him. Now I know in the, the mystery of God's sovereignty overall, God never causes evil. But he allows evil. So when we think about what happened in Bethlehem and the regions nearby after Jesus' birth, this evil squarely falls on Herod. A wicked and evil act. But it came about because of Jesus' birth. Do you ever think that Jesus could go through Bethlehem later in life if he did? Without the pang of sadness that there would have been boys or men his age that weren't there. Or to catch the eye of of parents whose sons were not there. Was there a weighty grief in his own heart? Did the one who can sympathize with us feel their grief and the pain of such deep loss? Through death, which he would experience personally in his own life when his very own dad would die. Look, we don't know, of course, how Joseph, Jesus' father, died. All we know is that Jesus, I mean, Joseph was there with Jesus and Mary at the temple when Jesus was 12. But then he's gone. We don't see Joseph appear anymore. And particularly at the beginning of Jesus' ministry, we see Mary and his brothers and sisters. This means that Joseph most likely passed away. This means that Jesus lost his dad. His dad died. Maybe when he was a young man. Maybe teens. Maybe maybe in his 20s. But death and grief, the unimaginable. I wonder if you can see, it's like we're, we're raking our fingers through these stories, like, like a bin of Legos, right? Certainly the, the point of these stories is that Jesus came. And for all the reasons it says that he came, that is the point. Joy to the world, the Lord has come. Let earth receive her king and her savior. But do you see that there's also so much in how Jesus came? 
and who Jesus came for and what kind of a world Jesus came to. Because it actually sounds really broken. It sounds really messy. It actually sounds more tense than not. There was division and hatred and tragedy and trauma, disease and sickness, poverty and oppression, and even heart-wrenching violence and death. And even the reality of, of suffering that others are feeling because of something that you did. But it's exactly right here that the real hope of Christmas begins to shine, though, right? I had a, a friend tell me that in his story, he hated Christmas. He hated Christmas. And it was because his father had passed away when he was young. His dad died of cancer. So then when Christmas came, all the lights and decorations came out and the, the candy and the cookies. It's the most wonderful time of the year with play on the radio. It's the hap happiest season of all. And he just wanted to call BS on it all. Because it just, it wasn't. Because not only had his, his dad died, dealt with the the, the deep pain of the loss of his dad, but it grew even deeper because their Christmas would be forever broken and ruined, he thought. And I wonder if you can relate to that at, at any level. And this remained until he realized that, that one day this, the, the revelation came to him. The, I believe the Lord helped him to see that he was actually the very guy that Jesus came for at Christmas. That his family was the very family that Jesus came for at Christmas. Because Jesus came into a world of sorrow and grief and death and violence. He was familiar with suffering and deep pain and deep loss. And yet he came so that one day sorrow and grief and pain and sin and death would be no more. See, Jesus, he came and broke into our world with the good news that not only was he here and here to save, but that this life isn't all that there is. That this life in this world isn't the ultimate end and goal of our thing. A long life in this world isn't the ultimate goal. We long for eternal life in a world to come. We long to go home one day and to be with Christ forever. Which he made possible because of his death and his resurrection. Listen, your marriage isn't the ultimate goal and end of all things. It points to Jesus and his unfailing faithfulness and his unchanging love for us. A love so great that he would come and die for us to have us. Look, even if your marriage is difficult and going through very rough times, it's not the end, all, be all of your life. It points to to a Savior who has come to even heal your marriage as it is right now. Your kids 
aren't the end and ultimate point of your life. They point to God's desire to, to fill the earth with image bearers who will bring him glory and one day reign with his son forever. Your career and wealth and possessions are at the end and ultimate goal because they will pass away and they then only became the resources that you use to store up eternal treasures. And even death itself, it's not the end. Jesus came proclaiming good news. That even death itself is not the end. It's only the doorway into eternal life in glory for all who will trust in Jesus. Look, did, did Jesus kneel down one day and with human pain and sorrow so filling his heart and with tears streaming down his face, did he one day lean over and say, Dad, I'll see you soon? As his dad left and died and left his mom and his brothers and sisters. And yet he knew that he had come to bring death to an end and to create a doorway into glory which he would break through himself and invite all who trust in them where death has no sting anymore. Even though the, the sting of sorrow and pain that filled that boy's chest that day as a human was real, did he knowingly say, Abba, I'll see you soon. Look, there is good news at Christmas. This is why Jesus came. Jesus is the good news of Christmas. Because this life is a mess. And it is broken. And it was then too. Jesus came into a broken and messed up world. Filled with division and racial strife. Political strife filled with tragedy and sorrow and death. And he came, the good news, that this life isn't all that there is. But if you will put your trust in the King of Kings who has come to break into this evil age and to begin to make all things new, and to invite us into an eternity with him, because of his death on a cross that he would head to. Because of his resurrection from the grave. Look, this is the good news at Christmas. So maybe you're here today, and, and this Christmas is great. Maybe you're, maybe you're the, the, the wise men, and you're doing fine. And you're, you've got plenty of resources, and you're, you're just worshiping and giving gifts and going away rejoicing. And praise God for that. But maybe you're here and, and you're in that spot that, that says, how can Christmas be happy this year when all around us is so messed up? The thing that I would say is, how could Christmas not be happy because of all that's so broken around us? Because that's why Jesus came. Maybe you're in that spot where you'd say, how can Christmas be for me when parts of my life are so broken and sad. Maybe there's someone here and you resonate with, the, I, I hate Christmas. Maybe that's the spot that you're in. Say, so how could this be a happy Christmas? 
Well, I say, how could this not be a happy Christmas? Because of the sorrow and pain that you feel is the very spot that Jesus Christ has come into this world to draw near to you and save. He's come with healing in his wings. That's the point of Christmas. So then all of the lights and the the gifts and the joy, it, it calls out a kind of faith in us. To believe that Jesus is the light of the world and that's what's going on. To believe that Jesus is the greatest gift and that's what's going on. Look, Jesus is the good news for all of us. In the world that we live in right now and all that's happened in your life this last year. Christmas isn't for everybody else. It's for you. Because it's for you and for me that Jesus came. And he came to save and to heal. Isn't that great news? Look, we're all in different places. But we can all look to Christ. And joy and hope can fill our hearts. Because Christ has come. Maybe there's someone here who's just hopeless right now. You're just hopeless. Hope is gone. For whatever it is in your life. Hope for whatever it is in your life. I'm telling you, for you, Jesus came. And he is your only hope. Because in him is life and joy and answers and fullness. It's in Christ who came for you to save you. So what do we do except all of us... Let Jesus in this Christmas. Don't be distracted by the trappings. Let the trappings point you to the point, which is Christ. See the lights shining in the darkness and picture Christ shining into the darkness of our world with hope and healing. Let me read, and I'll close. Worship team, you can come. The last, or not the last, but these four verses. Of I heard the bells on Christmas Day. You know this one? It says, I heard the bells on Christmas Day. Their old familiar carols play. And wild and sweet the world's repeat of peace on earth, goodwill to men. I thought how as the day had come, the belfries of all Christendom had rolled along the unbroken song of peace on earth, goodwill to men. And in despair I bowed my head. There is no peace on earth, I said, for hate is strong and mocks the song of peace on earth, goodwill to men. Then pealed the bells more loud and deep. God is not dead, nor doth he sleep. The wrong shall fail, the right prevail with peace on earth, goodwill to men. Amen? Lord, we thank you. That though hate is strong and mocks the song, the possibility of, of peace on earth, possibility of hope in the midst of brokenness, possibility of joy in the midst of sadness and grief, Jesus, we thank you that, that you came to this world. For people like us, 
in the kinds of messes that we find ourselves in. Both in our hearts, in our, our soul, and in our interaction with those around us and our culture around us. And, and then in the circumstances of our lives. Lord, I just pray that for each of us, we would let you in. We would rejoice that you have come. The Savior of the world. I thank you that you draw near to the brokenhearted. I thank you that you found yourself nearest the most unlikely. That you've come for the, the broken. For those whose faces are, are stained with tears. And Lord, we thank you that you came for those who are, who are doing all right season of joy but for all of us Lord I, I pray that, that we would fix our eyes on you and rejoice that you would humble yourself for us we love you we worship you and it's in your name we pray